0: This is Defenders TV Podcast episode 228 where we're talking about Jessica Jones Season 3, Episode 6, aka Sorry Face. What's up, fellow Defenders? It is I, Chris Jones, one of your formidable defending hosts for this is defenders tv podcast and we're on episode 228 but we're talking right now about jessica jones season three episode six aka sorry face i am joined by my illustrious co-host derek derek say hello
1: (laughs) yep just one of us sorry face from me because john is not here uh, for this episode we are alternating hosts um unfortunately you are stuck with me while uh Chris and, and John work out whether well, they're available to talk with each other at some point. <laughs>
0: some point, at some point. <laughs> we'll get uh, you
1: back. We'll get you back together.
0: Yes, the high flying high flying podcaster life. Yes, Just, exactly. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Unfortunately the real world jumps in occasionally.
0: Literally, you say what what time zone are we in? <laughs> Um, well, those, thank you so much for joining us and listening to our beautiful spoiler-filled review of this episode six of Jessica Jones. Mm-hmm. If you want to, you can pop over to our website at tvpodcastindustries.com and leave us a voicemail or subscribe to any of our other beautiful podcast reviews. But of course, you can also subscribe to our feed on any drunk or sober podcast player. But don't forget, you can also send us feedback for this season, this episode, or any other episode under the sun to feedback at defenders dot com.
1: Yeah, overall, pretty positive feedback so far on the overall season, but not necessarily some episode-by-episode episode feedback, so a few little bits in for our, our season-ender. I think everybody, because this is the final season of the Marvel Netflix shows, everybody wanted to binge it the whole way through and watch the whole thing, so unlike us, we'll be uh, we'll be taking a few weeks to get through this full season, but yeah, send any thoughts that you have on any of the episodes to feedback at com. With that said, Chris, do you want to take the episode details for this one?
0: Ooh, I get this one. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Uh Sure. This episode was written by Jesse Harris. Jesse's mm-hmm. a staff writer on the season for Jessica Jones, but wrote the story for season two finale, a.k.a. Playland, with uh, showrunner Melissa Rosenberg, mm-hmm. which was quite a, uh, a shot filled, or shock filled, I should say, mm-hmm.
1: uh, well, both. episode. <laughs> yeah, both, a bit, of a, a bit of a shot, which was a shock right at the end of that episode, uh, tying up the storyline of Jessica's mother um, with a shot. Through the dark from uh, from Trish and really setting up season three, so uh, so a big moment really. It seems like that was a bit of a tester for Jesse. Could she write the story for the finale of season two? And with that, she's gotten a job as the star writer for season three. So uh, so that's kind of cool.
0: Yeah, no, I definitely. And as you said, like you can see the through line from season two into this season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this episode was directed by Tim Iacofano. E. Um, he was the co executive producer of the last two seasons of Jessica Jones. And actually on season two of uh, Iron Fist. Uh, this yep. is Tim's first episode directing Jessica Jones, but he has directed a lot of other uh, shows like Supernatural and 24 in the past.
1: Yeah, interesting that Tim was on uh, on season two of Iron Fist since we got a little connection to Iron Fist and Rand Incorporated in this episode. So uh, we'll talk about that one a little, little bit later on.
0: Yes, but actually, let's actually hear a bit more about what they gave us in this episode. So uh, Derek, do you want to give us a synopsis?
1: Sure. As Detective Costa and his team investigate the crime scene that Jessica Jones and Trish Walker discovered, Gregory Salinger is toying with his latest victim. He's trying to get Eric Gelden to admit to camera that he's a cheater and not worthy of his privilege. As Salinger gets more frustrated with Eric's apologies, the killer notices the effect that he's having on Eric and he begins to bleed from his nose and eyes. Salinger realises that Eric is powered. Meanwhile... While Jerry is taking Hogarth and the Associates on the offensive with their clients, its sole investigator, Malcolm Ducasse, is going on his own coercion offensive. Everyone started to notice that there's something eating away at Malcolm, but he decides to prove once and for all his worth as he beats Barry's pimp to a pulp in the street to get her back to the safety of his apartment. As Salinger continues to play with his prey, Eric has managed to loosen his binds. As the two tussle, and with just moments to spare, Trish and Jessica arrive to Salinger's hideout, just in time to save Eric but they have unleashed a power-slaying beast on themselves as Salinger commits to taking them all down.
0: Yeah, what an ending. Oh, yes, absolutely.
1: (laughs) Yeah, they have just created their own monster, which I really like. I love this idea that this guy was a serial killer, just killing kind of random people, sort of. I'm sure there's some method to his craziness as to how he chooses his various victims. we hear a little bit about one of them, which we'll talk about in our case notes. Um, But... It seems like he has now been given the impetus to go, hmm, maybe I should be directing all of my rage at powered people. <laughs> Not the greatest of ideas.
0: Well, before we jump into that, I think let's jump straight into our case notes. Mm-hmm. And the first case note we actually have is Seven Bodies, Eight Photos. Yes. Um, This was a really interesting opening, mm-hmm. um, especially because we got the, a lot of CSI vibes. Very much so, yes. I was just waiting for the sunglasses to come off Jessica's face and go, wow, The Who just blares in the (laughs) background.
1: I'm assuming that's a CSI reference. I've never seen the show happily. Yes,
0: The the Who does all the, basically every opening is a murder scene with one of the detectives basically putting off off or on his sunglasses, making some corny pun, and then it just blares into The Who, which is the theme song. (laughs)
1: <laughs> well i do like that we get our voice over from jessica Than the style of all of these episodes where she's kind of talking about the fact that her mother would love this and then corrects herself and goes well not all the dead bodies and stuff but <laughs> the idea of finding a psycho and exposing him that's what she kind of loved because that's about let's that's, that's all about the hero stuff that she wanted me to do maybe i kind of like that as well you know i like that this is jessica's voice talking in the way jessica would talk not just not just the um the hard-boiled detective. She's also kind of having a little bit of a joke about the fact that her mother was a mass murderer, but she wouldn't necessarily like all the bodies everywhere.
0: Who would? Like, literally, (laughs) they're... they're, It was just interesting when they start seeing... Like, you you see them start rummaging through all the pieces, and Mm -hmm. they're pulling them out, and then we see, basically, Jess go off back to Trish. And this is definitely something that's starting to needle on me, which is just Trish's need for I don't want to call it approval um, but there's just something like just this Trish is constantly like barbing Jessica in like oh we're still doing this no 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 we have to go find them and you have Jessica going no like I'm doing this the right way now and then it's only literally when Trish pushes her to the point where Jess actually then has to go no if we don't do this right way and I have to go back after him I'll have to put him down properly. Mm -hmm. And it's again, like Jess doesn't want to take another life.
1: Oh, absolutely. And I I do like, she also says, I want to go home and just wash the bodies out of my hair. (laughs) as well." It's like, can you just give me five minutes of a rest? You know, we've just done a big job here. We've just been attacked by a guy who almost killed me last night. Can we just have five minutes rest? Trish, you know what this really reminded me of was, I know Chris, you've played the game as well, the Spider-Man PS4 game. Yes. Um, It reminded me of Miles Morales's phone calls to Peter. Where he's effectively saying to him, "Can can I go into training yet?" You know, <laughs> this this kind of idea where he's at him. And it happens as well in Into the Spider Verse as well. Uh, this kind of conversation between the upcoming superhero and the established one, where they're like, "Look, you can't do everything in one day." Just take a break, we'll get to it in a minute, you know, it's like Trish has her powers now, and she wants to just go on the go on the offensive the whole time, and Jessica just needs her to calm down. you know she's like this this bouncy puppy in the background going, "I can do something now, and Jessica's given me full reign to do it, so let's go do it, you know um it's yeah, it's almost the Batman and Robin relationship as well, you know
0: yeah, and I, what what I really liked is that this does show growth for Jess's character. She's Mm -hmm. like, no, I've handed it to the cops now. Let them do it. And the only reason she's pulled back in to this is when she gets home and she's trying to call Eric and Salinger basically answers. Mm -hmm. And what we get then is she's like, no, like, okay, I have to go save Eric now. So what we get is Jess going back to the apartment, sneaking in the back, and we get the great scene with Costa. Kind of basically go, no, well, there's seven bodies We've we've done that. And yet yep. this kind of back and forth and it's like, get out of here, I'm never gonna give you this stuff and he just walks off and drops the list. And <laughs> it's just like,
1: oh, I like him. Yeah, that's good. I really I really like us. Hust- I liked him last season as well, but I really like his relationship with Jessica, where he is playing the upstanding member of the detective unit. We've talked about this before, where you know, this concept of there are supers out there, there are powered beings. But they should only do jobs that they're able to do. They should leave the other jobs to the true professionals or else things get messed up. You know, and we do see this throughout the episode. You know, we see Jessica trying to protect Trish's identity and involvement by saying it was just her involved. And that starts to call into question her testimony. Um, we get a little bit of that later on as well with Costa uh, talking about, you know, if you had somebody else to back you up, if you had somebody else that could give this description because – you know that the light's already been thrown on you by Salinger saying that you were stalking him and that's why he had to run into this restaurant kind of thing to get away from you and um, so we have a lot of these kind of questions over it but I do like that Costa is saying okay well here's where my line ends and maybe Jessica can do a few things to help and a few things to move this forward I suppose, but. This realisation gets her to find out who the other person that has escaped Salinger uh, is. This eighth person, Casper Mark, who's a Michelin-starred chef. And this is what I was talking about. This is the interesting one where we find out what it is that gets you on Salinger's list. In this case, this was a chef at a Michelin-starred restaurant um, who effectively overcooked a steak for Salinger and it almost cost him his life. (laughs) Salinger's effectively going, you shouldn't have got that Michelin star if you can't even cook a simple steak like...
0: Yeah, it's really this, like, anyone who was given something that he does not believe they deserve. Mm. It seems to be his MO to get you on the list is basically have some form of privilege and fortune. And if you make a mistake with that privilege or fortune, you're on his list.
1: Exactly. (laughs) It's crazy.
0: Especially an overcooked steak. My God, he would not like my house. You see, it's (laughs) undercooked. (laughs)
1: <laughs> I think it's, it's, it's just not cooked correctly, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's that whole thing where you're going, oh, God, I hope he doesn't arrive at Hell's Kitchen and follow Gordon Ramsay around the country killing all the people that ruin their food, you know? Well, if he
0: <laughs> killed Gordon Ramsay, I'm just saying. This is...
1: Gordon never overcooks a steak, Chris. <laughs> um,
0: but I do like that there was this aspect of Casper Mark which was like, I thought it was just some form of, like, domineering sex game. Absolutely. Like <laughs> I, I was spiked, and then I, I wake up, and he was choking me, and and, and then I just kissed him.
1: Yeah, and fact, it's kind of sexy to begin with, and then I kissed him, and the guy just runs away and gets out of there because it looked like he'd never been kissed by anybody before in his entire life, you know. Which
0: does kind of ring true, probably with Salinger. Mm-hmm. We learn more about him in a bit, and we'll talk about that later in our case note. But it's just that one. Act saved Casper Marks so much.
1: Absolutely, <laughs>
0: um, it is good because we do see Jessica kind of flaunting her powers a bit more again now, which is like she takes the the blowtorch which she was using to crisp some uh, octopus legs, and that just basically leads she kind of squeezes the bottom that kind of. Brings Casper Mark to go, oh, okay, okay, let me t- I'll start telling the truth again now. Mm-hmm. And it's all through that that they find out about Casper Mark's uh, basically previous commercial kitchen mm-hmm. in his old restaurant, which we do now know is what Eric was trying to tell Jessica about when he said commercial.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's an interesting one, isn't it? Because this call that, that Jessica had with Salinger when she tried to call Eric and he answered, he kind of put down the gauntlet for her saying well, you're an investigator, find me. And if you can't find me, Eric's dead. But I'm guessing this is that Salinger believes that she can find him. Um, he doesn't know how he was found originally, but believes it's Jessica potentially, until he has this discussion with Eric. Um, he believes it's Jessica that found him. So she, he kind of says to her, well, do, do that again, find me again or else Eric is dead. So I'm wondering if he, I suppose, it kind of left Casper Mark as a... A stepping stone for anybody to find him, you know, to prove their worth, maybe something like that. Um, because I don't know how else she could possibly offend him. <laughs> because that's the only connection—is this guy cast remark that he left alive. That's the only connection that's there between uh, Salinger and where he is. This commercial kitchen.
0: They're gonna have to. You're right. They're gonna have to explain this a bit more. Salinger's actually gonna have to explain why he left him alive. Because mm-hmm. serial killers. The, the giveaways in the name of the person <laughs> as a killer. Yeah. Um, so, and he wouldn't have kept the photo. So maybe he's going to turn around and go, I left him alive because he, I don't know. I wanted to see if he would actually change his ways. Blah, 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 blah.
1: Maybe. I don't know. Yeah, it's like maybe it's just keeping a photograph of the only person that's ever kissed him. You know, it <laughs> could, be, could yeah. be that. But it seems really unusual that he would try to kill the guy and then get kissed and then leave him alive. Yeah, it does seem really unusual.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I want to know more about this.
1: Absolutely. Well, talking about more about Salinger, let's get on to case note number two. Uh, as Salinger has Eric trapped in this commercial kitchen, our second note is about that whole interaction between the two of them you know we have this final kind of description i suppose as to what salinger is doing with everybody he's making them speak to the camera and confess for the camera that they're not worthy of the situation they've been placed in by good fortune i suppose um this idea that he says to eric that he's crippled by good looks and good fortune and teamed up with someone who's cheated because she doesn't deserve her powers she's an alcoholic that doesn't deserve to have the powers that she's been given so so we kind of have a little bit of description about what Salinger was doing with all of these photographs we were saying in the last episode myself and John that when he looks in the mirror and he's kind of practicing what the last person he killed said to him before he killed them, and um, that seems to be what, what Salinger gets off on in fact I think he even says here to Eric that the death is is completely incidental it's all about the photo shoot it's all about that most honest moment just before a person is killed where they admit to not deserving what they've been given in their lives.
0: Yeah, the, there's an element of Salinger that he he's had to work for everything, mm. and he feels that everyone else has just been handed it. Yeah, and it's not fair. Um, and I really enjoy like okay, we're starting to see the psychosis of Salinger. Uh huh. So. That's the the interest. There's very like when he says to Eric. You've been crippled by good looks and good fortune, mm-hmm. and yeah, Eric's a good-looking man. Salinger's not. Yeah, um, and that's that's enough alone to really like. Even when he didn't think he was powered, mm-hmm. like for him to ugh, lock onto and go, "No, you were you were graced these gifts. I've had to work for them."
1: Isn't it fascinating though? And I suppose that's what's so interesting with this guy. You kind of want to know the motivation and you do realize this guy is absolutely insane because no matter what it is, it seems like he could pick any human being and choose a reason why they are more privileged than him and why they didn't work for the things that they've gotten in their lives. That's what it feels like. It feels like he could just walk down the street, pick someone and go you were bought a nice jumper and I don't have a nice jumper. Therefore you think you're better than me and I'm going to kill you. It's like, you know, there's even that moment when he learns about Eric's powers and as he gets closer, Eric's eyes start to bleed because of how deranged this person is. And Eric actually tells him, yeah, it's when I realize I'm, I'm close to pure evil. My body does this to me. And he goes, well, I'm not pure evil. I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm just um, finding out the things that are wrong in the world and putting them right. And, Kind of going well. Eric probably knows what his power does, and I don't think you know. I don't think Mother Teresa would cause that reaction in Eric. So there's obviously something wrong with Salinger.
0: (laughs) Definitely. Well, like he does. So Eric does that whole jokey. Tell me your backstory, Mm -hmm. and then Salinger does, Mm -hmm. and we get the story about his brother. He had a brother, and Mm -hmm. his father um, basically pushed how amazing his brother's photography skills were how creative he was yeah. even though Salinger won an award they mocked him um, saying that they randomly chose anyone as a winner
1: <laughs>
0: uh, which is like, like oh, these
1: people okay. sound awful <laughs> they really sound awful like he wins one prize and actually is really happy about it and they're like yeah yeah whatever that was just some random uh raffle basically <laughs> just to, to guess the winner um but yeah, his brother does die awful. yes now, the question
0: is... i have for you hmm did he kill his brother?
1: I believe so. Um, and I think it hasn't come out yet. There was that talk when uh, Trish and Jessica were doing the stakeout last episode um, where they talk about the fact that he's been living off the money that he's made from effectively from his brother dying in an accident, that he's he's the one that claimed the insurance and got the money for that. Yep. Um, it sounds like his father lived on after his brother was brother died in this accident. So we don't know whether he killed him. It does sound quite likely, but... It's interesting that the insurance company paid him out uh, yeah. money for that death. So uh, definitely expecting that to come up in the future. Um, I love that Jessica just completely panned it off going, yeah, yeah, I know. Obviously, that's something we should look into. Yeah, I'm not that stupid. But th- we still haven't been told about what it is.
0: Yeah, it was just that we get that. Like, so, yeah. As you said, the the brother's accident, quote-unquote. And I'm like, then he talks about his brother was super mean to him and consistently was in the was, was, was. And then his father stabbed him. His father stabbed Salinger.
1: At the funeral.
0: At the funeral. Because he wanted him (laughs) to die instead of his brother. And I'm like, okay.
1: Yeah, you can see Eric's face as he gets that conversation where it's like no at the actual funeral home I was stabbed by my father when uh, when my brother had died saying he wishes it was me that was dead and it's like Eric going I'm not getting out of this <laughs> I I'm never getting out of this place um, it's really it's, it's a really interesting scene the one thing I will, I will kind of complain about in the scene and you kind of mentioned it there Chris um, the one thing I'll complain about I don't understand that moment when Eric asks oh you have a brother there's more of you and Salinger criticizes him and goes oh you're just trying to keep me uh, focused on something else, so maybe it'll give you time to get away, and then does tell him his entire backstory. It, that doesn't make sense to me at all.
0: But n- <laughs> this, does it
1: make sense to you? No, I, I you know. know
0: how I hate, I, I hate cliches.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: This was the cliche. This was the James Bond super villain moment where James Bond is trapped, strapped to a chair. Yeah, and he just gets his the evil super villain to tell him his plan or backstory as he's basically clean getting himself out and you're like Salinger even knows he's doing that and then continues to do it and I was like oh come on you can't you can't as a writing staff mm -hmm. call it out and then still do it
1: yeah it It, just seemed weird I don't I just don't, don't really understand But again, it seems slightly crazed as well. There is that bit from Salinger. He doesn't actually say it immediately. It's another thing that Eric says a little bit later on in their conversation. And then he goes, you actually do remind me of my brother. This is my backstory, basically. (laughs) Um, So it is slightly later, but it still feels a little bit like as if he's, I don't know, reaching out to tell anybody his backstory. Tell anybody that, that... that is willing to listen to him why he's in this position, I suppose. Maybe it is that that absolute loneliness that led to him running away when Casper Mark kissed him as if he's never been kissed by anybody else in the past. He's ever been shown any kind of love in the past at all. Maybe he feels that he's in a really intimate moment with these people before he murders them. Um, there is that kind of connection with Red Dragon, the, the second Hannibal film. Um, I don't know whether you've seen that one, Chris. Yeah. Um, he quotes this uh, this little phrase. He uses the words, do you see when he's explaining to Eric why he's tied to a chair and why he's going to die. He's having this conversation with him and he's he's saying to him, these are all the things that you 've done wrong, do you see and this is something that red dragon the the character in uh, in the movie, this is something he continually says to his victims as well. He keeps telling them, do they see the future? Do they see life through his eyes effectively? so there seems to be some kind of connection there between the two between those two characters between um, between the character character and red dragon and um, Dollarhide, I think it's Francis Dollarhide, uh, in that movie and that uh, actual TV show hannibal uh, and Salinger here where they 're kind of saying how lonely they are and how their perspective on the world is and trying to get other people to see the world from their perspective. And I'm wondering if that's part of what it is. Maybe he does like to bring people through this backstory so they can start to see the world through his eyes. But you realize very quickly it's a very weird perspective on the world that he has, that nobody else has worked for the, worked their lives the way he does. Um, so, But I do like that it is Salinger kind of knocking him over onto the path of going after heroes with powers as opposed to just normal people from now on
0: yeah and so this is what i wanted to talk about i i talked about oh i hope they're not going to do a, a hero villain part one and then a part two villain mm-hmm. and actually they are exactly doing that but it's the same guy yeah. and it's a really nice twist for me not a twist <laughs> but a, a change yeah um it's not a bad thing to have two villains like we we know about Cottonmouth and Diamondback and Luke Cage, mm-hmm. and uh, some people liked it, some people didn't. Personally, we did. A part of me was going, "Oh no, they're stopping Salinger already." Yeah. And I was like, it's episode six. Like, <laughs> who, who's going to be the bad guy?
1: I was laughing because I was editing the podcast that we were that we were discussing this on, Chris, and you were going, oh, I can't wait to see another nine episodes of Her versus Salinger. And then this episode, Jessica and, and Trish break in. And just after Eric's gotten escaped, they have their big fight. And then they arrest him and send him off to the prison with all of the evidence they have and the seven bodies that have been found. And also the eighth person that didn't get killed who has the whole backstory of who Salinger is and they send him off to prison and I'm going oh okay that didn't last as long as I was expecting <laughs> that was one episode
0: <laughs> yeah and that's that that had me going and I was like oh no
1: yeah it's like next week on Jessica Jones we have a brand new villain coming along that you exactly about it <laughs> I was like oh god
0: what are they gonna do but then it's this last line from Eric at the very end of this episode which is hmm. he's now after the powers
1: yeah, I did kind of split that out into its own case note. Uh, our next case note is Salinger's free and after-powered people, because we do see this whole conversation after Jessica goes into Costa saying, hey, you've got everything you need, you know, we have all the evidence that you need, you have my testimony, um, and you can pin all the murders on Salinger, and Costa effectively says that he can't do that. There's nothing really connecting the two other than her statement. And She's not known as being a very reliable person. He has to make sure that, that it goes through court. As you mentioned earlier on, Chris, this kind of relationship between Costa and, and, jo- and Jones that has built up over the last couple of seasons, it's really strong to the point that whatever she says, effectively, Costa totally believes her, but he's effectively saying it has to go through the courts. It has to be presentable in front of a jury or else this guy will get away, and he can't have a guy like that getting back on the street again.
0: No, and it, it makes complete sense Mm -hmm. and and I loved Costa's discussion about the ledger how people in the police force go their whole service Mm -hmm. wanting to get a bad guy like this and bring him down the right way because it basically cleans their ledger Mm -hmm. it makes them like better but the problem is Salinger's a he's smart oh yes there is no corroborating evidence and that's the really interesting part so Mm -hmm. it forces Jess to kind of Reevaluate and go. Yeah. Okay, I need to go. And she has to try and convince Eric to testify. So you see that the, the she tries calling Jerry and then doesn't get through. So she actually just turns up in Jerry's uh, office mm-hmm. and kind of goes and asks all about. Okay, I could, if we got a blackmailer to do this, blah blah blah. And it comes down to okay, well, a good lawyer could probably get to a year in prison. Yeah. And you get then, Jess, with Trisha in the room, talking to Eric mm-hmm. and trying to explain to him that he would need to testify to put him away for kidnapping. Mm-hmm. And it won't be as long as a serial killer, but it's like Capone getting done for tax fraud.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like, I love this idea, you know, that they're going to get him for kidnapping. That could only be five or six years, you know, if they don't get a good a good judge on the case. And Salinger may, may have to go to prison for a full year for testifying because they can't they may not be able to get him on these these serial killers, murders, these eight murders that he's done or seven murders that he's done. Um, but a wonderful bit of writing there. If didn't guess this at all myself that, of course, he can't go to prison. This would be the worst place in the world for someone that just constantly has really bad headaches from evil people. Can you imagine what what it would be like for Eric in prison if he's surrounded by multiple murderers all around him every day? If he just if he bled out of his eyeballs in ten minutes with Salinger, what's he going to be like if he's surrounded by murderers all day? So I was thinking
0: about this, and I I was kind of curious. Would they not take that into account? Could you not go? I am powered. Bad people kill, nearly kill me. Can I not go into? solitary or somewhere not there
1: well isn't that yeah that's what trish tries to convince him isn't it but i suppose do you take that chance is kind of his point yeah he's he's kind of gone you can hope for that but what if my lawyer messes up and i end off in general population in the prison for a year um i will be dead in a couple of days basically around these people so do i take that chance eric's not known as being a massively heroic person You know, we've already seen that in the past where he's effectively was willing to just run away out of the city. You know, Um, he's not a very settled person and he's not a very heroic person. And he's willing to put his life above pretty much anybody else. You know, he doesn't really care if someone that he blackmails kills themselves, for example. He doesn't care about that. He just wants the money off them and knows he has a way to do it. Um, But yeah, Trish tries to say to him maybe you could be put in solitary, solitary confinement and he goes, look, I can't take that chance. You know, uh, She does suggest that to him. But it's a, a really interesting, I suppose, additional part of a superpower that we didn't think about when we heard what a superpower was. What if he's surrounded by 10 people who are all equally as bad as each other? It's going to be awful for him.
0: Yeah, no. So for me, it was as much as Eric is needed, right? And But what about the chef?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Like yeah. The, that's the one part Casper Marx has not been taken into account in this, I think, fully yet. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, well maybe let's wait and see yeah. how, how, how bad it is. But the interesting part is they do lay it down straight away, which is now Salinger is free or will be free in the morning. Yeah. And now we've given him the target of powered people, the ultimate of of people who are not worthy in his eyes. Mm-hmm. The ultimate yep. people who were gifted and are squandering their gifts.
1: Absolutely. And it is, as he's saying, nobody earned these powers. Everybody that's come across, and everybody that's talking about has gotten these powers and they're using these powers, but nobody earned them. If anybody deserves a superpower, it's him he feels because he has effectively lived his life the way he should have lived it. And he never got given anything. And so, yeah, it's a really interesting one. The way Salinger was having that conversation with Eric early on, it almost felt like everybody he'd already killed had a power. But then you realize, as I said, that he chooses what makes you not worthy. You know, you learn that someone that doesn't cook a steak right is not worthy of life, effectively. You know, this is a bad, bad man. And yeah, he's just uh, flipped him on, uh, on all the power people, you know, like, can you imagine what Captain America would, uh, would, Get from Salinger, you know?
0: Oh, yeah. But Captain America <laughs> would be squandering it by just working for the army or something. Mm-hmm. Or just the offenders. You could have been doing more. Absolutely. Um, you, you. I was about to make an Endgame joke there. But just in case, no spoilers. Don't worry, I won't.
1: <laughs> I don't get this. Can we just have a little aside here, Chris? I don't get why we can't spoil Endgame yet. I don't get it. I heard people criticizing Tom Holland for spoiling Endgame on the Graham Norton show last week. It's the biggest movie of all time. Yeah. So oh, everybody's I, seen it. <laughs> I'm the exact same. It's like, the, it's like you can't spoil Titanic, you know.
0: Uh, history, <laughs> history defies that one. Well, uh, it's no. It's more like it's it's like Empire. You mm-hmm. can't spoil Empire, and I'm like, there's a there has to be a time limit here. After, if it's something as a cultural movement, <laughs> a, a, a movement in history. Mm-hmm. That it's potentially going to become the biggest film in his of all time again. Why can't you? It's up. To, it's on you to have watched it. Then.
1: Well, I, I understand that everybody can get to the cinema. I totally understand that. But if you care enough that you will be annoyed that someone spoiled the movie for you seven weeks after it's been released, then you probably should have gone to the cinema and watched Exactly. It. You're not going to be able to avoid spoilers for that long. But anyway, that's just a little aside. That yes. <laughs> has nothing to do with Salinger. He, he probably is the kind of guy that spoils movies the day they come out.
0: No, he's probably the guy that kills people for spoiling movies. Possibly, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't
1: deserve the privilege of going to the preview of that film.
0: <laughs> um but like wait, so let's move it on for people mm-hmm. that are talking about deserving yes. or lack of deserving. Let's talk about Malcolm.
1: Yes, absolutely. This is a really interesting side of Malcolm that we haven't seen before. He's starting to really take those lessons that Jerry's been uh, been giving him and using them in his own life. It seems now and he's looking really fevered as he's kind of trying to find Eric's sister Barry. Our our case number three is Malcolm on the offensive here. Um, it's really interesting. He seems a very different character. He even has that discussion with Jessica, asking you know what is wrong with him. He's saying I've grown up, you know.
0: Yeah, this is the this is the downfall of a character who's downfalls twice. Like... In different ways, yeah. <laughs> in different ways, obviously. But it's just, he had his life together and what mm-hmm. we find is that because his skill sets are driving him to do potentially bad things, mm. he's saying he's feeling like he's grown up but he's feeling guilty for it. Yeah. And, well, he's also feeling guilty, obviously, for his latest infraction of releasing records causing mm-hmm. a death. Um. But so he's like, oh, I'm going to fix things. I'm going to do the good thing. And he's going to be the good cop again. So when he goes after him and finds Barry, um, he does find Barry. He mm-hmm. uses his technology, but then he goes to town on her pimp.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
0: And he's like, "This is for sucker punching." And I'm like, "Okay." So he he's knocked him out this grand. and then when the guy continues to he, he the guy abates. It's just like, "Okay, I get it. I get it. Go take her." You guess. No, he keeps going. He's working through some issues
1: here. It's a really interesting one, isn't it? Because we hear the explanation from Malcolm is the reason why he's going this strong at at Gore, this this pimp, is to prove to her that Gore can't keep her safe no matter what he says. And just because he sucker punched Malcolm to the ground, she can't be safe with him around and and a serial killer on the loose who's already got her brother. So he's going to go and show, show her that by taking him out on the street, effectively. And then she will make the decision to come to his apartment, and that means she won't leave again. Like That's a really difficult situation that Malcolm has put Berry in, and a really difficult situation he's put himself in here. He seems to have taken a bit of a leap there that she would run away if she came back to him or if he dragged her back to his apartment. Um, but he's turning into, I suppose, this massively violent guy, you know?
0: And I, I was going. Okay, well, maybe he's doing it for the right reasons. Maybe this is his redemption. He's like, he's, hmm. I'm saving a woman's life mm-hmm. because I've taken another's indirectly. But the, as we said, uh, Eric saw a slight evil in him. Yeah, um, yeah. And Jessica mentions that. But the ending of this scene, with mm-hmm. the, or particularly Malcolm's scene where Barry performs her business arrangement that she had with gore on malcolm yeah and we see zaya call him and he still hangs up yeah i'm like oh no 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 i know no. this was <laughs> so i was like you i don't know where you're going with this like this is a really bad thing he had the life he mm-hmm. just made up he just made up in his mind like he'd become it become equal it's like, I, I've saved her life. Yeah. And you see, he's, like, he's working things out. I need to be a man. I need to feel like a man. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, this is really strange. And then that happens. And I'm like, oh, dude, no, no, I no.
1: I know. It, he's gone too far. That, that's kind of the the point here. Hogarth has pushed him over the edge like he pushed Peter over the edge by releasing that information, I suppose. That's what it feels like, you know. Um and you can tell that because you know a couple of a couple of days ago, Zay and him were kind of talking about planning to move in together and and plans for the future. And after you know one day later, he's watching peter have sex with the student uh through a secret camera that he's installed in his office you know and then the next day there's something else he's hiding from her and then the next day after that he's saying he's taking time off work and then zaya calls him and says come into an all-hands meeting in in the office and he goes no i'm i'm out for the moment i'll come back when i want to come back so their relationship has completely changed and now barry is giving him the business arrangement that she had with gore um you know, that's cheating on his future wife effectively, you know. So this is not our Malcolm. This is Malcolm seemed to be right in control at the beginning of this season and now he's completely gone out of control and completely lost himself in everything that Hogarth has pushed him to, I suppose. Um It's the Marvel abs.
0: <laughs> that's the thing. If you work out that much and you get you go from scrawny drug addict to mm-hmm. Marvel abs, that's what happens. Yeah. <laughs> the yeah. Yep telling you, that's why I don't have Marvel Labs. There I hear go, they're terrible for your relationships.
1: <laughs> that must be it. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's why, I swear.
1: But yes, it is totally to do with, as you say, with with uh, Hogarth and, and what she's been pushing him to do as well. Um, we do see another scene, which I didn't even include in the notes here, just that small moment where Hogarth tries to go over to Kith's house to sympathize with her about the death of, of Peter and meets with Kith and Peter's son outside, who's confronting her about everything that she's done. Um, I don't know about you, I think because of the information we know behind about what Hogarth's been doing and everything that she's been involved in, that moment when she falls over and drops the bagels on the ground and gets up and says, oh, my wrist. I don't know why, but as she walked away, I was expecting a little smile to come over her face as if I've tricked him into thinking that he's hurt me kind of thing. It never happens. She actually started watching it the second time. I realized that was just me putting an image on her face. Uh, it actually was. She was genuinely sorry for uh, disturbing Laurent and, and for his father's death and everything he's going through. But I really did feel that there was going to be a moment where she would walk away really happy that she'd made him feel bad for pushing her too far.
0: Well, first of all, can I just say Laurent's acting was terrible? <laughs> I was just like, ah, they could have got a better actor than that that kid. No offense.
1: He's just lost his dad, Chris
0: sure but the <laughs> the emotional arm whale yeah. like just like yeah <laughs> i don't know what they're doing with this storyline um i'm supremely interested but jerry's this this is the thing we're six episodes in and everyone's mm-hmm. acting out of character oh, really like to when not jerry like, you've got... She released the information. Mm-hmm. She destroyed it. She was going over. And then you see her try and go back to Kish. Yeah. And she... I took the... Like, when she was walking out, I see this absolute pain on her face. Yeah. And then we see her later on as well at her desk looking at the photo of her and Kish um, from college. Yeah. Just the two of them. And I'm like... You're trying to build this empathy for this character, but she did destroy Kish's life.
1: So I don't know whether they're trying to build empathy for Hogarth. I think we have now seen her for three seasons. I don't think you can build new empathy for Hogarth. She's despicable. He's an awful human being, but you do know what's going on in her head. And what it seems to be is, well, that didn't work. I've destroyed kith's life and i was hoping that i'd just push her husband away and she'd fall back in my arms again but that didn't seem to work oh dear uh what have i done here um so it is that moment of realization i suppose for hogarth that she doesn't always get what she wants and that that kind of has to happen a few times for this character um i get the feeling from the conversation that we see with uh steven benowitz uh, who comes to visit her in the office i get the feeling from that conversation that we, we are going to end the season with this no longer being uh, Hogarth and Associates, with it being whatever Zaya and her surname, whatever her her name above the door, like it was said in the first episode, that she is going to take over the practice and Hogarth will leave uh, in whatever cloud of uh, our storm has been created here. Um, I don't I don't think the season's going to end very well for Hogarth anyway, um, which is probably a good thing. She seems to come out on top a bit too often overall, and this seems to be the downfall that we've had for Hogarth. Seems to be. She gets everything she wants, and this time she can't possibly get what she wants. To her kids is not going to come running back to her.
0: And they lost Rand. Mm-hmm. Like yes. this yes. was a, actually, I'll let you take this because you did write this in the notes. But I'll <laughs> just say, I'll, the the interesting part is like Benowitz comes in and says essentially, "You're losing two thirds of your business, and I wanted yes. to do this in person." And he was like, "Look, I don't know what's going on. You forced, you gave, you forced me to." Uh, confront the bad and now that I have things are better you need to do the same mm-hmm. and then we still see Jerry basically go get out yeah. not even just like this was one of her closest friends, her yeah. allies for years.
1: <laughs> well not by the end of last season it wasn't. No but in the <laughs> beginning Yeah no by the end of last season she uh, she had um, effectively broken the relationship between Benoit Chow Chow and, and Hogarth because they were using their uh, their power to uh, blackmail people similar to what she's doing now kind of sort of um, but they they seem to be in a much grander scale I suppose so she was able to break off and take Rand with her I suppose that was the her big bargaining chip in setting up Hogarth and Associates was well she had the backing of Danny Rand and the Rand organization which is a massive contract to get and that's what is attracting all these other clients to them as well Um just to kind of I suppose, put it in a row, some people didn't finish uh, Iron Fist season two, some people just weren't interested in the show. The reference that we have on here from Stephen, where he says that Danny Rand is on some kind of sabbatical, therefore the board voted to oust uh, Hogarth and Associates, that's just a reference to the end of season two, where Danny and Ward Meacham, uh, who are the basically the heads of the board of directors for Rand, they've gone on a, a trip around the world investigating Orson Randall, um, so they're no longer there, and because of that, both of them know how important Hogarth is to the organization, but because they're both gone, the board's going to just vote in favor of getting rid of them and going back to Benowitz and Chow of a better reputation, I suppose. So, um, a nice little tie in there to to the end of season two of Iron Fist.
0: Yeah, no, it was a nice, it was a nice tie, and the the interesting thing is was when they when they would have been filming this and when they wrote this, they would not have known of the future or the lack thereof of Iron Fist season mm-hmm. three. Um. So it was not it it's a nice hey look stuff is happening over there. Yeah. Um it wasn't I don't see this as hey the guys are off. I, I don't see it as a it was just a nice nod to hey if you watched to Iron Fist season two, you'll know what they're talking about, but that's yeah. about it.
1: Yeah, it's just lining up the timelines as well. You know, they, I think they'd been traveling for about six months to a year uh, at the end of season two. It was it was a good skip of, I think it might have been 10 months, uh, I'm just trying to remember. Um, I think it was about a 10-month skip at the end of season two of Iron Fist. So you're kind of roughly around time here. You're in around, around the same timeline that Danny's still traveling the world at Ward. So uh, nice little touch that they tie it in that way anyway. But back to our notes, back to our, our case note number and number four about Malcolm. It does seem like he's on a really bad path here, and he's going back to where he was. The other thing to consider here, and I don't know whether it's going to take place, but the other thing to consider is he already called out Barry as being a heroin addict. Don't know whether Malcolm's going to go back to heroin addiction. Um, I don't know whether he's going to go down that path again. It was interesting, if you remember back to season one, he was on heroin because of what Kilgrave had done to him and forced him to do. But that Malcolm did call out that that's not necessarily that he would never have done heroin and now having tried it because he was forced to do it by Kilgrave, he is addicted like any other addict. So it would be quite interesting if we see him going down that path potentially.
0: Yeah, I know that's kind of where I'm hoping things don't end, which is mm-hmm. at the end of the season, I don't want Jessica to be back where she was. No, no. Him to be back where he was. Like, it would it it would be I sad, I think is the best way to kind of... <laughs> In my head, which is like, yeah, we've had so much growth, so Mm -hmm. much change. We've grown with these characters over the course of three seasons. It would be sad to see them at the end of this season, or at least some of, especially Malcolm, be back where he was as of season one.
1: Yeah, he is. He has definitely fought the most adversity since the beginning of season uh, season one, I think, um, to get where he is. And you just kind of hope that somebody's going to give him the right break at the right time in the right organization so he doesn't have to go out and do the kind of things he's been doing uh, for, the last, for the last time. Let's get on to our final case note, Chris, because mm. I thought this was fantastic. Um, the truth about Trish, case note number five. Uh, I love Dorothy Walker always have but I love the moment when the Jessica and Trish are arriving back home to alias Investigations and Dorothy's just down there going oh of course of course it was going to be Jessica it's always Jessica isn't it <laughs> uh,
0: I just every part of this was brilliant mm-hmm. yes we get Dorothy doing her usual Dorothy act mm-hmm. and just Jessica's no she's got powers she's got powers now Trish yep. has powers just coming out, and just Trish consistently goes,
1: Jess, stop! Don't! What, what are you doing? Stop, <laughs> She's it. Lying. stop it! Ignore her, Mom! She's lying! <laughs> and
0: then we just get that beautiful scene where she just grabs Trish and Tosses her out the window.
1: <laughs> oh, it's so funny! Absolutely hilarious. I, I was kind of expecting that she was going to do something as she's opening up the window, and she is saying out loud that Trish can fall out a window and land on her feet. That's one of her new powers. She's seen her do it, you know. Um, but I wasn't expecting the how quick she threw her out the window as well. But you know, super prepared.
0: But it was just the best part. Like in this case, was just seeing Dorothy run to the and look out the window. Yeah. and then you just see Trish down the bottom going do 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 oops
1: I have <laughs> so powers like, sorry mom Sorry. I was lying to you just there but I, I love the original misunderstanding as well as, as they're trying to tell her you know Jessica's trying to reveal what's happening and Trish is trying not to let her and Dorothy goes please don't tell me you two are a couple there are much better lesbians out there than Jessica <laughs> <laughs> I was
0: like oh god they're sisters no don't do that <laughs>
1: what we do it does kind of get us to that confrontation again between Dorothy and Trish you know they've kind of mended their relationship over the last uh, over the last year um since the end of season two of Jessica Jones I suppose um they've kind of come back together and Trish is now in Dorothy's life she's listening to Dorothy she's allowing Dorothy to help in her career whatever way that's working out but it seems like Trish has still not forgotten all the things that her mother put her through as a teenager. You know, this this whole conversation they have about that she was feeling perilous as a kid and the person that was supposed to protect her was pimping her out to anything that would ask, effectively. So, um, so she's saying that now that she has these powers, she'll be able to save other girls who are in those perilous situations like she was and anybody else who was in a perilous situation. So we kind of have that conversation between the two of them, which I thought was fascinating. It was really interesting to see that Dorothy still... Knows what she did and is still apologetic about it in some senses, but was just kind of hoping that Trish was ignoring it all and going back to being a well-adjusted human being, I suppose. Um, I don't know whether whether you're supposed to feel sorry for Dorothy in these situations because she is horrible and Jessica knows how horrible she is and has been saying it since the first time we met her back in season one. And because Trish had kind of forgiven her a little bit and was working with her you kind of put that in the back burner and you kind of forget about it a little bit but she was horribly abusive to to Trish over the years.
0: Pimp, like the pimping out line is true mm-hmm. and we know that from the last season. Yeah. It's I see the thing I don't feel sorry for Dorothy. I think yeah. she's manipulative. I think yes as a character as a she's fun mm-hmm. but I don't like the person I like the character that she is. Absolutely. Um And it just reminds me of just, like, this just reminds me how bad she is. Because you do forget that she did do all those things.
1: Exactly. Yeah. yeah.
0: And then Trish just called it out again. I'm like, oh, God, yeah, she was terrible. Mm -hmm. Why have this woman in your life? I know.
1: I know. But that's Trish's story, I guess, you know. Um, But it is interesting to bring it back out this way. and, And, you know, we hear as Dorothy's leaving the apartment, we hear Trish calling after her going, I've been happy to have you in my life as well. You know, don't leave kind of thing. But Dorothy walks away, you know, Dorothy, like a spoiled child, walks away saying, I've lost my daughter again. You know, I I do think that Dorothy has this blocker in her head that she thinks for some reason that Trish realises that all the things she did for her were in her best interest when they weren't. Jessica's called out many occasions that it was about Dorothy getting the money that she could earn off her daughter. Um, But she seems to still have it in her head somewhere that what she did was right for Trish, you know, Um, weird.
0: Yeah, you you hear all the real-life parallels of these people. Mm-hmm. Um, I was told I need to watch. There's a Backstreet Boys um, documentary okay. uh, online about their manager mm-hmm. and how, after like two years of number one singles and albums and touring non-stop, the guys sat down. Oh, full, sorry, it was after a full year. Of all the tours and the singles and stuff, they sat down at Christmas with their manager, who was it, like effectively the sixth member of the band, that he was in contract and everything. Yeah. And they all came away with like ten to fit twelve grand checks. Right. Yeah. And like these are the Backstreet Boys in the height of like this is like <laughs> like the height of their like celebrity, mm-hmm. and they made twelve thousand each.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: And this is what. Dorothy reminds me of, just Mm -hmm. these people that just, like, but I helped you. Yeah. I made you a celebrity. You owe me. Like, and it wasn't for me. It was all for you. Yeah. And it's just that that spoiled ending where Dorothy walks away going, I've lost my Trish. Woe is me. Absolutely. And it's just, you're like, no.
1: Yeah. Yep.
0: Oh, it just it just hurts me each time because you do, it, it's nice every now and again forget just how bad Dorothy is and just have that, that having like, oh, well, it was the Skittles, wasn't it?
1: Mm-hmm, it was, yeah. Skittles yeah. for her. Like, yeah.
0: I want the Skittles and the mineral water.
1: Yeah. Or vitamin water. <laughs> Whereas and my vitamin like, water yeah. and my Skittles, basically. And
0: yeah. Trish is like, I don't like either of those, but I do.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: And you're like, oh, oh.
1: But that's it. You know, we, we, we have talked about this character many times in the past as being the kind of the pushy mother the pushy stage mom as they as they call them where she's the one that chose this career for her daughter and pushed her into this for her entire life and there are some benefits to it of course but the amount of things that she's gone through because of being pushed on into this life is is what's i suppose the interesting part of the character and the interesting story but once again another character in the jessica jones universe that is Just so dark. Uh, You know, where's the light characters? Where's the nice people? In this they
0: they don't exist.
1: I want to see Danny Rand appear in an episode of this final season of the Marvel Netflix shows just to cheer Jessica Jones up a little bit, you know? <laughs> just he to give us one character her. that's nice. Absolutely. <laughs> Everybody annoys her, Chris, though. That's
0: true. That's true. That the, when when you're a Jones everything annoys you.
1: <laughs> well, let's stop annoying you, Chris. Is there any Thank other you. notes that you have in this episode before we go on to our defense?
0: No, not really. Um th- th- there's not much at all. Like the the one thing I will say is obviously Salinger's backstory in the comic books is quite different than mm-hmm. what's here, which I'm okay with. Yeah. Um, because it's just a different Salinger, a different type of Salinger. Yeah. Um, so the his his comic book counterpart will not play really play a role in this season. No. Um, so. <laughs> so it's very similar to some of the other things we've seen, like with Punisher season two, where there is a character of similar name, kind of similar stuff, but mm-hmm. they've taken a lot of liberties, and not liberties, they've evolved the character and better set them for TV. Yeah, absolutely. Um, which is
1: good. Absolutely, and also, you know, 40 or 50 years after the character first appeared, uh, it's got to be very different than, uh, than a character that appeared for a couple of issues or uh, or a little arc uh, on occasion. So, yeah, nothing nothing major um, coming out in notes at all. So let's get on to our defence. Chris? Do you defend Jessica Jones Season 3, Episode 6, a.k.a. Sorry Face? I do defend this episode.
0: Um, I still defend the season. Mm-hmm. The pacing feels right for me. What I was hoping was that they wouldn't do a two-villain season. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're not. Or they maybe. are, but they're not. <laughs> it's just that they're, they're, they're evolving a serial killer from a human serial killer to a super serial killer, maybe. Yeah, um, They've kind of okay created a
1: with- super villain origin story, haven't they?
0: It really is. They've created their own monster and it's mm-hmm. really interesting to see. Yeah. Um, especially because he's not powered. So anytime he goes hand to hand with Jess, he's gonna lose. Mm. Um, so it really is interesting to see where they'll go with this. Uh, because she's healed from the stabbing, well, to a degree, as much as she can be. Yeah. Um, so seeing where this is going to go is the interesting part. Mm-hmm. Um Right now, we're we're nearly at the halfway mark. We're six hours in. Am I happy with all the creative choices of the characters they've taken? Mm, I don't want to answer that. uh, Because we've still got the rest of the season to to go. Mm -hmm. There's a couple of... I'm hoping they don't take certain characters to certain places um, (laughs) and leave them there at the end of the season. Because... uh, the showrunner knew that was probably she. She had stayed, Melissa Rosenberg said like this would probably would have been her last anyway. It was yeah. Um, so even if they had decided to go for a season four, yeah, she would not be attached. So she wanted Definitely. to wrap it up in some semblance. Yeah. So I, I'm interested to see what that is.
1: Yeah. And she said that she has crafted an ending for the show. When we get to episode thirteen, it will be ended as a series. So uh, so let's see where that's going to be. Yeah.
0: Yeah, so for so I defend this episode, I defend the season so far. Um, I can't poke holes in it, um, and if I was, I would be doing it just for the sake of being uh, a douche. <laughs> um, but on that note, Derek, do you defend Jessica Jones season three episode six, aka Sorry Face?
1: Definitely, yep. Loving the world of Jessica Jones and loving Heather Heather bringing in all of these external characters, even seeing someone like detective Costa back, um, from season two, you know, having him so involved in this season, you know, we're, we're kind of creating a big cast of characters here. Um, I know that the, that the, the side of, uh, Hogarth's story, probably not a huge amount told in here, but things that kind of need to be said were done in very short scenes. So it wasn't, uh, too much of filler or anything like that for the episode it was probably about four or five minutes spent with her story just so you have a bit of movement in it but the majority of the story here with trish and jessica working side by side like a marvel team up was really good fun and really interesting what we see happening with malcolm is really interesting and getting the backstory of salinger as he becomes the fool killer is really interesting i'm really excited to see where that's going to go as he gets released from prison and goes after the supers in the future yeah yeah i really like this episode
0: yeah, I think it's the core thing here now is where does this all go? Mm-hmm. How do you top the the, the origin story? Um, <laughs> which is always interesting. That's so, fair. on that... Let's move on to some feedback for this episode.
1: Yeah, just one piece of feedback on Season 3, Episode 4 from Bob Phillips. So far, as we're recording this episode, I know some people are watching it at a different pace than the way we are. We're just kind of fitting in our recordings as we can with the guys. So hopefully, if we get any more feedback before I release the episode, I'll drop them into this section here. But Chris, do you want to take Bob Phillips' uh, feedback?
0: Yes. Dr. Phillips says... I think we're seeing the heart of gold come through slowly here, with the crusty exterior being discarded as Jessica grows. I'm intrigued to see where the evil might goes from here. Is the grim apple, sign of the witchcraft and bad magic, meant to enhance our dislike for the hygienic chef? I still very much appreciate the cute suit Malcolm, and absolutely loving the depiction of the lesbian relationship that doesn't really feel doomed, dyke, walking or diversity light. Mm-hmm. Jerry is a demon but with a touch of Aziraphale. Nice. (laughs) I like what you did there. there.
1: Yeah, calling out good omens there. Very good, Bob. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it's really interesting, isn't it? You know, they made quite a big statement in season two when it was released on International Women's Day and had all-female directors. They were making a very big statement about season two. What's interesting in season three, probably because it's the last season, it was released at the start of Pride Month and they didn't mention really anything about it. I find that interesting because we have Marvel's basically only lesbian relationship within the MCU, within the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I know we have some over in in, uh, the X-Men and in Deadpool. uh, There's a lesbian couple there. But Jerry is a fully realized character and is the only character that's like that within the universe. I really like the fact that she's not just a lesbian to be a lesbian, I suppose. The whole storyline between her and her her partner or the person she's going after like kith it's a complex interesting relationship that is furthering the character it's not about them being a lesbian couple or about them breaking up or about one of them dying or something like that it's just an interesting story about a human being who happens to be a lesbian so great touch there totally agree with you on that bob but it is interesting that the show didn't kind of talk about the fact that they have such a diverse cast overall
0: uh to, without getting on a soapbox here I like that they don't Mm -hmm. because it's not like it's not a marketing stunt or
1: I I think what I find interesting about it, I suppose, is just before the season dropped, we had a huge conversation, I suppose, about the first openly gay character being in the MCU um, a character that spent less than twenty seconds on screen having a conversation about a, about a date that he was going on with another man. Yet we have this show that's been going for three seasons with a central character who's a lesbian who's had many relationships, who's done many many interesting things in that vein. We also, in this episode, we have Stephen Benowitz coming back talking about the fact that he's out and has revealed himself to the world as a gay man, finally, after getting that push from Jerry last season. And there's nothing bad about it. There's no bad side to what he's talking about. All of these things in this show that the Marvel Universe either gets huge praise for putting someone on screen for 10 seconds or gets huge criticism for taking credit for putting someone on screen for 10 seconds when we have a show like this that's, that has had an open, an open character for three seasons. Um, it's interesting that they didn't mention it at all In the fact that this is Pride, but it's actually the 50th anniversary of the Stonewall riots, which kicked off Pride parades around the world. So it's fascinating that they wouldn't actually mention it at all in any of their marketing. It just feels like Netflix are dropping the ball on the fact that this is the final season of Marvel's shows. And it feels like it was just kind of dropped like they do with their shows, put out 13 episodes and don't really talk about it much after the fact that it's gone out. But the amount of openness and normality this show gives to the lgbtq community is massive and it's really interesting that they did that they haven't used that at all for marketing and there's no reason why they shouldn't use it for marketing because it wasn't the the decisions that were made by the writers to put these characters in the show were not done for marketing
0: true so part of me is i think and we get this on our on our episode 13 wrap up um as you said they dropped this this is a dropped ball, and I think it's it was a oh, oh yeah, Jessica Jones is here. Let's just put her there. She's here. Bye. They didn't want to make any song or dance about any part of this. Yeah, because it would just remind people that yes, there is this great de- depiction, depiction uh, in this universe of Jerry and etc. Yeah, uh, but there won't be in another tw- uh, seven episodes.
1: Exactly. I don't think there's any coincidence that two days after Jessica Jones dropped on Netflix, I got an email in from them telling me all 34 brand new shows that are going to be coming out on Netflix in the next year. None of them, of course, are Marvel because they've lost the contract. They've yeah. cancelled the Marvel shows. So... I don't think there's any coincidence in the timing of that. They know what kind of shows I watch on Netflix and they're pretty much all Marvel shows. So uh, I'm sure they're trying to keep my custom and trying to keep me signed up to them. But uh, but unfortunately, losing a show like this is quite significant, I think.
0: Yeah, 100%. And mm-hmm. so it's going to be interesting to see where everything goes from here on out.
1: Absolutely. That's the end of Bob's feedback. Thanks so much, Bob. If there's any other feedback, I'll put it in here. And we did get another piece of feedback in. We got a voicemail in from Ryan about episodes two to six. Take it away, Ryan.
2: Hi, guys. How you doing? Ryan here. want to give a quick review from episode two to episode six. Uh, I couldn't stop, which is why I haven't given you a earlier review. I'm really, really, really enjoying it. Enjoying the fact that Jessica is having to be an actual detective and using her mind instead of powers, which is really, really good. I'm really liking that. Uh, Jerry, this season... Wow, all I can say is wow. Um, I I don't know if I agree or disagree with uh, you guys when you had your conversation in episode five about did she overstep the mark with releasing the, um, the information that made uh, Peter uh, commit suicide? Yes or no? I think yet, yes, they didn't need to go so far, but no, I can see why they did and it showing the impact of what Peter's suicide could have on Jerry's company. So I get that um Malcolm this season wow he's uh really kind of out there and um doing his thing which when you think about last season he was using sex as a replacement for his drugs from the first season I think he's now focusing on work and this that and the other which is trying to keep obviously keeping him out of the bad light but then on the same thing he's actually walking right into the badness with the stuff he's doing for Jerry so that's an interesting uh dilemma to look at with him and what he's done um Eric's sister I'm not a big fan I like Eric in this I do like him I think he's really good maybe it's because I actually know Eric's sister from a program called the deuce where she actually plays a prostitute so it feels to me like she's walked out of hell's kitchen and oh sorry out of the deuce I'm right to hell's kitchen but hey ho it's all good um Eric himself I actually really like him I think he's really good for Jessica Jones uh the way he works off her I like the flashbacks with the uh, loan sharks and stuff like that. I thought it was really funny. Sorry, I know I've gone back to Kit, but also I wanted to mention one thing. You guys mentioned it too. Kit Kit's reaction to Jerry after he speaks to her is um, is, is ideal. and Oh, sorry, not ideal, sorry. And it shows uh, us how much Jerry wants to control this, every situation. Jerry had an ideal scenario there where she could get with her ex-lover, and uh, you know she would not have to disturb anything. Her ex-lover was happy there. She had an open marriage with her husband, but that wasn't enough for Jerry. She had to release that stuff and you know destroy their families. But hey ho, let's see what happens. So it's it's all good so far. I'm loving this, and I'm loving this fact that I'm six episodes in, and I can't wait to start. I've only stopped so I could send you guys a voice note without accidentally spoiling anything but yeah I'll speak to you guys soon, take care bye bye
1: Absolutely no need to apologise Ryan about not sending in feedback for the last couple of episodes I can totally understand this season has been great, I can totally understand how you got so caught up in the episodes, Uh, some really really interesting points in there, Um, I like uh, what you're saying about this this idea of having Jessica being the detective alone where she's not really using her powers that much she has to actually be a detective which is such a central part to her character I think we've talked about it a little bit Um, in regards to our discussion uh, last episode myself and John were talking about whether the show overstepped the mark by having a character kill themselves uh, finding out this information I think John had the feeling that they'd gone a bit too far for it I'm with you Ryan I I get what you mean this has created a really interesting dilemma I suppose for Hope and Associates, how do they come back or how do they bounce back after doing something so abhorrent? Um, I'm really intrigued to see what's going to happen with that in the future as well. Um, Eric's sister from The Juice. I've not actually heard of The Juice before but I totally understand when you see an actress playing a similar role or the same role on another show or an actor playing a similar role in the same on a different show, you kind of feel, uh-oh, typecasting is coming in here. <laughs> but I can see that. At least she's only a small character. So you don't have to pay too much attention to her on there. And yeah, Ryan, great call on going back to Malcolm and his sex addiction back in season two that does make a lot of sense why he would take the offer from uh, Eric's sister for their new business arrangements in this episode uh, that makes a lot more sense now actually but now you think about it thanks so much for your feedback ryan i know we do have some more feedback on episode six i'm gonna actually use that in episode seven feedback so myself and chris can talk it through next episode thanks so much If you want to email us, you can email us at feedback at DefendersTVPodcast.com. You can join us on our Facebook group where we have spoiler posts for the episodes as we watch them at Facebook.com slash groups slash DefendersTVPodcast. Or you can follow us on Twitter at DefendersCast. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode.
0: Yes, thank you so much, guys. And don't forget to jump over to TV Podcast Industries and check out all the amazing things that we do. Myself, Derek, John, you know you want to hear more from us? Well, that's where you go. So make Mm -hmm. sure pop over to... TV Podcast Sign up, follow us, like us, share us. You know the drill. We'll be back with our review of Jessica Jones Season 3, Episode 7, AKA The Double Half Wappinger.
1: What? <laughs> the Double Half Wappinger, yep.
0: Okay, that's a new one. Right, people, we'll be back for AKA The Double Half her because, yeah, that's how you say that word, really <laughs> soon. So make sure you get your feedback into us as soon as possible as always it's been a pleasure talking to you so thank you so much and we'll speak to you again soon
1: talk to you next time bye